Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at ren-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Again, welcome. If you're new with us this morning, so glad that you're here today. And uh, thanks for taking the, the time and energy to get yourself ready or your family ready and come and be a part of worship this morning. I think what we're doing here is incredibly important. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. We started a series a couple weeks ago called Wildfire, and that's what we're continuing in this week. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, my name is Chris Kipp. And God called me to plant this church in 2014. And uh, he's given us a, uh, a mission and a vision of, of seeing his love and his message permeate our city. Uh, our, our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into all of life in all the earth. And so we've been on this journey now for uh, about seven or eight months now as a church body, but I've been living in this area for about five years now. And over that five years, uh, I've crossed the Brazos River, Lord knows how many times, uh, different bridges coming in and out of town. And just recently, I had an interesting experience. I drove over the Brazos River and I thought to myself, wow, that looks really nice. Now, if you're from here, you know why that's really unusual because most of the time when you, when you drive over the Brazos River, you're not thinking, hey, let's go swimming, right? You're thinking, oh, Lord, please stay away from that thing, right? Because it is a volatile river. I mean, we have seen that thing rise, especially with the flooding, Hurricane Harvey in our area. We've seen the power of water shaving away, eroding the banks of that river. We've seen homes destroyed, families displaced, people who have lost their lives. Some of you in this room may have had flooding in your home from this crazy river that kind of snakes through our town. And I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing for this sermon, how uh, in our world, I, I think there's a current of our day that every now and then looks really nice. It looks blue and calm and serene. But the reality is that it's, it's pretty volatile. The world we live in is pretty volatile, that, that we're seeing the currents of our culture rise and fall. We're seeing things eroding in our day, and we're seeing people's lives being threatened and lost just from the, the very streams of thought that are in our culture today. I, I kind of want to start with just sort of a reality check for us of the world that we live in. We live in a very broken world. I mean, if you just turn on the news at night, it's almost like depressing, right? Because you're seeing all the markers of our own brokenness, right? We, we live in a world that's full of poverty and starvation, exploitation, lying, scamming, robbing, injustice, addiction, unchecked consumption, abuse, neglect, 
anger, hatred, division, divorce, suicide, murder. That's what we see streaming through the news channels and through our little backlit rectangles in our hands every single day. We live in a broken world and it's not pretty. And here's the thing, this brokenness is pervasive and it's not just out there somewhere. It's in here. The brokenness and sin absolutely touches each one of our lives. Our own brokenness and sin and the brokenness and sin of those around us, our families, our spouses, our neighbors. It's everywhere and it's in us. The answers of our culture are to accept everything and correct nothing. How dare we distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, because all that stuff is subjective and unscientific. We're taught to follow our hearts and fulfill our dreams, to be smart and work hard and look out for number one. But when almost eight billion people on planet Earth all look out for number one, we have deep societal problems. We're encouraged to be who we think we are and to do what we think will make us happy. And we band-aid our brokenness by buying some more stuff. We drown it with drink or pills or endless hours of work. We escape it through an average of 5.4 hours per day of media consumption. We retreat into our phones and into our own heads. We shift the blame and we shake our fist at the government or the HOA or that lady in the grocery store or that other driver or that boss or that employee or that church or that pastor or our spouse or our kids or at God because that's what sin does. And that's what brokenness does. As we are looking at the book of Acts, what we're going to see this morning is two snapshots of this first Christian community, this, this wildfire movement where the gospel was spreading like crazy. Last week, we read about Pentecost where, where the wind and the flame come and this thing begins to take off. 3,000 people say yes to Jesus in one day and this church emerges. And we're gonna look at the markers of that church today. And here's what I want us to just notice is that this is absolutely countercultural. What we're gonna see is, is absolutely different, uncommon, unusual, it's unique, and it's, it's very, very much the same way today that if we were to live like this early church lived, we would see an unusual, uncommon community that emerges. So let's read together this morning. We're gonna look in Acts chapter two. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I wanna join with me. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, we have this on the screens for you in the same translation that I'm reading from. You can follow along with me there. But we're gonna start in chapter two, verse 42. And then we're gonna jump over to chapter four after we read that, okay? So follow along with me. Acts chapter two, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the they that he's talking about is this 3,000 people who just received Christ. 
They've all said, yes, we want this Jesus. We want what you're talking about. And so they have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Incredible picture. Jump with me to chapter four. You're gonna see something really, really similar in verse 32. Chapter four, verse 32. It says, now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. So here we see this incredible community begin to emerge of these believers. It's, it's amazing. It's so unusual. It's, it's, it's that utopian thing that philosophers have been talking about and dreaming about for millennia. This beautiful community. You know, in our day, we've seen um, lots of real-life wildfires, haven't we? We've seen in California and Colorado how this wildfire spreads, and, and the aftermath of that wildfire is devastation, that when all that brush uh, you know, burns up and then the rains come, there's nothing holding that soil together and then we have mudslides and all kinds of problems. It's incredibly destructive. But what we see happening in this wildfire movement of the gospel spreading is something redemptive, something beautiful. So I'm entitling this sermon, Aftermath. What happens when when the wildfire of the gospel spreads through people? What does it look like? And specifically, here's what I want to say. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Is as we go through the different characteristics of these churches, I think our, our minds first jump to, let's do that. Let's make a list. Okay, they did this and this and this and this, and I'm going to start doing those things. I can just check those off my list, and here's what I'm going to do now because that's what they did. And I, I think that's great, and I don't think we would be worse for doing these things, but here's what I want to say. We jump to behavior really, really quickly, and we need to understand that what happened was grace was upon them all. Like the gospel of grace got down inside of these people and something began to emerge that was very, very different. So before we jump to let's do this, I want to talk about what grace does. Before we talk about what you do, let's talk about what grace does. So 
Let's start looking through the characteristics of this church. Um, Back in chapter 2, verse 42, I was first struck by the word uh, that most of you caught as we were reading it. It's the word devoted. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Then in verse 46, it says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. That word devoted is an interesting word. I think uh, we think of devotions as like a book that you buy at the bookstore and it like has, you know, a, a daily reading for you. But the word that he's using here is this devotion that was like a, it's a zealous pursuit. It's consistent. It's the steadfast of of going after something. To be devoted to something is to go after something with this zeal, like a passion in you. And here's what we see in this church. They were devoted. Um, This Past Friday night, I went to the Battle of the Berg. I don't know if y'all know what the Battle of the Berg is. This is the big football game here uh, where BF Terry High School plays Lamar Consolidated High School. Like, it's crazy. The, the stands are packed. People break out in fights. I mean, it's just nuts, right? So we, we always go because it's, it's a fun game. Lamar won. I'm just saying, blue track, way to go. That was awesome. But I was in the concession line and I'm waiting in this forever long concession line. And this group of kids walks up and I'm just kind of studying our youth here in Lamar. So I'm studying the youth and I see a young man and he has a tattoo on his neck. And it's a, it's a, a, a heart, a red heart, but it's broken down the middle and underneath was written the word numb. And that caught my attention. Numb. I think that the current of our day in our own brokenness and the brokenness that's around us has a way of doing exactly what was written on the side of his neck. It has a way of breaking us apart and numbing us. Have you ever felt that way before? Like, like life just gets so overwhelming that you just kind of feel numb. Right? Like I, I want to, I want to have passion. I, I, I've, I remember having a zeal for life. I, I remember, you know, wanting to get out of bed in the morning. But right now, I'm just really, really numb. That apathy that begins to grow in us because of the brokenness of our world. Hebrews three thirteen. The writer says this. He said, "Encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened." by sin's deception. Sin has a way of numbing us. It has a way of hardening us. Jesus, talking about his, um, his Jewish contemporary, said, he was quoting from Isaiah 6, that their heart had grown callous. Their ears were hard of hearing. They had shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back. And he says, I would heal them. But they're hard. They're numb. I, uh, you saw I'm a guitar player. And um, so on my fingers here, I have these calluses. 
which are pretty intense calluses just from years of playing guitar, so much so that I can barely feel anything on my fingertips because of this, the thickness of the calluses on my hands. And I, I wanna tell you that years of living in our sinful brokenness in our culture has a way of hardening us where we cannot feel and someone tells us about Jesus or about the Lord, about something that's happening, and we just can't feel it. We can't hear it. We can't understand it because we're hardened. We're numb. And that's what sin does. But grace is different. See, here's my first point this morning. Grace turns apathy into devotion. <laughs> I was on a vacation with my kids and they got into this song, it's a hit song, and it's called Old Town Road. Has anybody ever heard the song Old Town Road? Yeah, some of you, you've been rocking that in your car, right? It's got a great beat. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus was involved in the song, which was surprising to me. Um, Achy Breaky Heart Man just had a hit song. I, I think that's pretty impressive. <laughs> and uh, so I was interested, I was intrigued. And so this song comes on about an old town road. It, it makes no sense to me at all. But there's this one part of the song, and my, my kids are singing along in the car, and it's says, can't nobody tell me nothing. Have you heard that part? Can't nobody tell me nothing. And I heard that and I'm like, dude, this song is so good. And then I'm thinking about what I'm singing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. And I look back at my kids. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If can't nobody tell you nothing, somebody's going to tell you something, okay, here in a minute, and we're going to get this thing straightened out, right? Because you got you to gotta be able to hear from some people. And I was thinking about the apathy and the hardness, how in our own self-sufficiency and our pride, can't nobody tell us nothing. I want to tell you that God wants to speak to your heart. Grace is here. Jesus has come for you. He turns hardness into this heart of flesh, a heart that feels. He turns our apathy into devotion, a zealous pursuit. Grace doesn't sweep our brokenness under the proverbial rug, but instead it exposes it and then it pays for it and then it heals it. Our gospel is not a gospel of good works, it's a gospel of good news, which is grace has come and out of that grace that gets down into our bones we look at Jesus and we say I'm coming after you because you've come after me there's a zealous pursuit that's it's not works it's not the checklist to do this week pursue Jesus wholeheartedly no 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 grace turns apathy into devotion. It turns calloused, apathetic hearts into these transformed dwelling places of the Most High. That's what grace does. 
We see this other thing that's incredibly uh, beautiful and just kind of weird in this church. I, I wanna just show you this in, in verse, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse 45. It says that they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that's unusual. Look again with me in chapter four. If you look at verse 432, the second half, it says that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Later, it says in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. Now that is bizarro, right? How many of you sold a house this week thinking, I'm gonna give the money to the, to the church, I'm gonna give the money to someone in need? Probably none of us in the room have done it this week. Am I right? But that's what these people were doing. There was this amazing generosity that began to emerge out of this people. And again, this is not the checklist to do this week. Sell my house and give the proceeds to the church. No, no, no. This was something that was emerging from the grace of God. I uh, have a friend I just celebrated his 40-year birthday with him. We had a good time. And part of the reason we were celebrating is because uh, another friend of ours gave him a kidney about seven years ago. And honestly, he wouldn't be here today without the incredibly generous gift of someone saying, you can have a body part. It's beautiful. It's amazing generosity that comes out of the people of God, and this is so contrary to the current of our day, because in our day, money means security, right? It means hope for the future. It means status. It means comfort and success and fun. We could have some fun. If we just had some money, we could have some fun. Ever felt that way before? And it promises so much and it delivers so little. Because just when you get that car that you thought you wanted, three years go by and it starts breaking down. Or your house that you've worked so hard to purchase or to rent begins to fall apart <laughs> and stuff starts leaking or floods come and wipe it away. And as Jesus said, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Money promises us so much, and yet it delivers so little. And this thing in us, this brokenness, this sin, it turns us into takers and hoarders and insatiable consumers. It breeds greed, and that's what sin does. But grace is different. My second point this morning is this. Grace turns greed into generosity. We see it in this incredible picture of this church that was unusually generous. And they're selling their stuff so that people who had need could have their needs met. 
But how? Like how in the world does grace turn greed into generosity? Well, grace speaks to that security thing in us. Grace says that you're secure in the one who gave his life for you. That his salvation is as sure as the rising of the sun tomorrow. Grace says to that hope for the future, it says that you have an inheritance coming to you and it's not when your grandpa passes away, it's when the the sky split open and you see glory. That you have an inheritance coming for you. It speaks to this status thing in us and it says, look, here's your status now. It's not in what you own or don't own. Here's your status. You are a child of God, bought with the precious blood of his son, Jesus. You are loved, deeply loved. You're a co-heir with Christ. Grace speaks to that comfort thing in us and it says that you have comfort right now today, not like when the paycheck comes on Friday, but like right now today, you can have comfort in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Grace speaks to that success thing in us. It says, look, Here's success. If you feel like a failure, good news today. Here's success. Trust and obey Jesus. That's it. Trusting and obeying Jesus, and you're successful. And it speaks to the the fun that we want to have, and it says, look, fun is great, but I'm offering you joy. Deep joy. And it's not found in what you own or don't own but it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a lot of fun and a lot of joy. Grace turns greed into generosity because that's what grace does. And I wanna look at one more kind of characteristic that we see, and it's these two phrases. We see them in in chapter two, verse 44, and then in chapter four, 32. It says that they held all things in common. And then it says they were of one heart and mind. And I just want you to think about those two phrases, all things in common, one heart and mind. When you look at the word community, that is the jamming together of the words common and unity, and it's exactly what we see that happens here, is that a community, a real, live, actual community is born out of this grace of God. I I found myself getting in the Christmas spirit a little bit early this year. I've started walking into stores, I had to go to Hobby Lobby this week, and I walk in there and I'm like, Christmas time is coming, right? I see the trees and the decorations are out already. And I'm like, it's the most wonderful time, right? I'm just feeling the spirit already, right? I'm, I'm ready to put my lights up. I've already started, like, I don't think I put my lights up last year, but I'm like making a plan of how I'm gonna put my lights up because I'm just, I'm ready. Maybe it's the heat of the summer. It's like, you're, you're like, please, Lord, bring the cold. We'll, we'll build a fire. We'll sing some carols. It's gonna be awesome. And, and I'm thinking about Christmas 
and I was thinking about um, the family meal. I don't know if you'll have a family meal at Christmas where you get all your family together and the in-laws and the outlaws show up. I, I don't know if y'all have that at your house. And uh, I was thinking about... Um, the awkwardness of that meal sometimes. I don't know if you'll have a little awkwardness in your family. It's like we all love each other, but we really don't want to see each other that often maybe. Or maybe there's some characters in your family that you don't want to see quite that often. Because honestly, we live pretty divided lives. There's a lot of division. Um, just the 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 inconsiderate opinions that we've shared. We think about the, uh, the gossip, maybe the hurtful words and actions. Maybe there's some people that you see that have said some things to you in your life and it just stings every time you see them and there's just like that barb there of like, oh, I love you, but I'm still hurt by you. We have a lack of follow through on our promises. We have the dumpster fires of our day, or we've chimed in and we've put some more fuel on that dumpster fire. We have unmet expectations. And all that brokenness creates division. We have paper thin unity. And if one wrong thing is said, it's over. It's going to be a big fight. And that's what sin does. That's what our brokenness does. But grace is different. Grace turns division into community. It turns division into community. How? Grace says this. Grace says, consider Jesus, who was mocked, ridiculed, gossiped about, misunderstood, falsely accused, betrayed. And then when he was really mad or really upset, when all that happened, he could have called down lightning and said, I'm done with you, humanity. But instead, he allows Roman soldiers to put nails through his hands and through his feet. And he's pierced for our transgressions and our sins and our brokenness so that he could pay for all the times that we've mocked and we've ridiculed and we've gossiped about and we've misunderstood and we've falsely accused and we've betrayed. And so that he could heal us where we have felt mocked and ridiculed and gossiped about and misunderstood and falsely accused and betrayed. Now our flesh wants to keep score, doesn't it? We want to remind everyone of how they hurt us. And what they said and what they did, and we're going to keep a little tally on the wall. And when it gets over to here to this point, like, we're, we're done. But grace pays the debt. It doesn't keep a written record. It says Jesus canceled the written record that stood against us. 
Grace heals our division. It's what grace does. And our gospel is a gospel of grace. I want to close with uh, a couple words to you. The first was this. I saw a video today on, online, and it's two boys in Manhattan. I don't know if you saw this video. Uh, their names were Finnegan and Maxwell, and they're on the streets of Manhattan. It looks like Manhattan, right? They're on a sidewalk, and there's people everywhere, and the road's there. And uh, the, uh, Finnegan's a little white boy. He's about maybe two years old. And Maxwell's a little black boy. And he's about two years old. And they're about 20 yards apart. And they're out there with their dads. And they see each other. And they run towards each other. And they give each other a big hug. I mean, you got to watch the video. It's just like, it just gives you that warm feeling inside. When you watch these kids run at each other and give each other this big hug. And I was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. I have a dream. You know what he was, what he was trying to correct was this, this segregation. And in the speech, he said this, I have a dream that little black boys and girls would be able to join hands with little white boys and girls and that they would be able to play together. And here we are all these years later and we got to see just this beautiful, simple little picture where there was no division, no uh, divide. It was just two people embracing one another. I want to say to you, church, I have a dream. I have a dream of a church where grace turns apathy into devotion, where people like us say, I'm coming after you, Jesus, because you've come after me. I have a dream of grace turning our taking and our consuming into giving, poisoning that greed and nurturing generosity, where grace turns greed into generosity. I dream of a church where grace turns all the divisions, all the stuff that could divide us, and it turns it into common unity where people could embrace one another. Here's what I want to call you to. Here's my, my application point. It's very simple. I want to call you to do what we do as a church body. I want to call you to pursue devotion with us, to come after Jesus with us by coming in this gathering and worshiping and praying and devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching and doing this with us. Second thing, I want to encourage you to live the common life with us. We call that house church. It's simple. We meet on Wednesday nights and we uh, eat together and we talk about our week. We pray for one another. We talk about the scripture. And it's the simple act of breaking bread in fellowship and living this life together. And I believe that if we would just give ourselves to the simple act of being the church that we might see what they saw is that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Wouldn't that be awesome?
because that's what grace does. Why don't we pray together this morning? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.